Hello, Divorce and Beyond family. It is time for the September roundup of the top divorce cases in the news. These are the cases, the high profile cases that you are seeing all over your media feed, your Instagram, people are talking about it on TikTok. And so we're going to unpack some of those cases here. Now I do want to say, remember, I'm not doing this. I'm not providing this roundup and this deep dive into these cases because I want to add to the sensationalization of these high profile divorces and splits. It's more because the tabloid media tends to do the sensationalizing themselves. And what I want to do is like give some context, dive behind those wild headlines, correct what might be inaccurate or misleading and give you some context and some information where possible and always giving you some takeaways that can help you on your journey through divorce and beyond. So settle in. Here we go. It's a bit of a roller coaster this month because I'm taping this on Wednesday and the episode comes out on Thursday and for the past two days, all anyone has been talking about is Adam Levine and what now appears to be a string of, and I'm going to say in air quotes, folks, flirtations, um, potential affairs. There is just a lot of information, a lot of chatter out there about this cheating scandal. And, you know, a few things that I really want to highlight, but first, a few of the at least alleged facts. Um, some of this is taken directly from Adam's Instagram stories feed. So as far as it comes from him, I guess we can say some of this is true. Um, but it does appear that a woman uh, went on TikTok and revealed that she had had, or she alleges that she had approximately a year long, and she calls it affair with Adam Levine, who is of course and has been married to former Victoria's Secret model, Bahati Prinsloo, since 2014. They have two little children. And what maybe makes this even worse at the moment and more sensational is that she is currently pregnant with the couple's third child. Um, since that came out, and I'm not going to put the name of the woman who made the allegations out there. Um, but I will say that Adam Levine, as I just said, did go on his Instagram and admit to at least that he sent inappropriate messages. Having seen them, I will say, yes, they seem to be very inappropriate for a married man. But he denies that there was anything physical in their relationship. In fact, he said, I'm going to just give you a quote from him. I used poor judgment in speaking with anyone other than my wife in any kind of flirtatious manner. I did not have an affair. Nevertheless, I crossed the line during a regrettable period in my life. Um, so I posted something about that on my Instagram and somebody said his... Uh, his publicist needs, he needs to get a new one. Um, I will say, I don't think he gave his publicist much to work with here, but clearly that feels like a crafted statement put out there to deal with all of the hullabaloo. Now, since yesterday when this all hit, 
Today, there have been, I think, three more women who have come forth and said that Adam has been sliding into their DMs or conversing with them inappropriately. So, you know, I just wanted to bring a few topics to the forefront on this. I'm certainly, you know, not going to pass judgment on what goes on in Adam Levine and his wife's marriage. Um, But I do wonder about the parsing of the term affair. Um, So what does it mean to be, uh, you know, to to commit infidelity, to have an affair? Um, He's drawing a line, it would appear, by saying, well, if I didn't do anything physical with this person, then it doesn't rise to the level of an affair. she, I, by the way, the woman seems to, that, that is the subject of this, seems to have um, implied that there was actually a physical relationship, but say there wasn't. Does his ongoing back and forth of extremely flirtatious um, text messages and DMs for approximately a year, does that constitute an affair? And, you know, I... I would say, I'm just going to point out that from my perspective, and I'm just speaking for me, I guess I would focus in on less of how the person who's, I'll call it misbehaving, defines their behavior and more what the effect of that behavior is on the spouse or the partner who feels that they are cheating on them, right? I can only imagine, and and I think it's funny, I saw a headline that said um, his wife is extremely upset about, you know, these allegations of cheating. Well, I mean, I don't know that that's a headline that anybody needed to read. I would imagine, of course, she is upset. And I think that's maybe where the focus needs to be when it comes to infidelity and cheating and poor behavior and poor judgment on the part of spouses. Um, If somebody is conducting themselves in a way that I think is very clearly going to be hurtful to their spouse, then perhaps that rises to the level of a type of infidelity. And so his parsing of whether he had an affair or not I'm not certain that that is really the relevant factor here. Um, He clearly will have a great deal of work to do if this marriage is going to uh, remain intact. I have, as a divorce attorney, certainly seen people who have managed to get past an affair or infidelity. I have also seen it obviously be the catalyst that drives people to divorce. Is it the the actual reason for the divorce you know i wonder why he would why anyone would behave be behaving in that sort of manner with someone other than their spouse if they are fully invested in the relationship i'm not in any way casting um any doubt on his wife's behavior i don't know but i wonder what his uh, commitment to that relationship was I do also, for you listeners, um, who this probably sounds very familiar to many of you, infidelity, cheating, um, all of this goes on in divorce cases all of the time. And many of you may be wondering what effect it will have on a possible divorce. And I'm going to give you 
my standard answer that I've given to divorce clients over the years for decades now. From a legal perspective, it probably isn't going to have a huge effect on any ultimate settlement or judgment if you were to go to trial um, in your case. The law, frankly, does not take infidelity much into consideration. Um, taking it more as a symptom of a marriage that has broken down rather than a reason why a marriage breaks down. Now that's the legal short answer. The more complicated and nuanced answer is it's going to have a lot to do with your divorce in that when this type of behavior goes on, it raises the emotional content between the parties to DEFCON 8, right? This is hurtful, horrible, emotional, abusive type of behavior in many ways. When someone cheats on their spouse in any fashion, there is lying and deceit and betrayal involved. And then it is very hard to sit down and have an amicable divorce. So what effect will it have on the divorce? Probably a lot. It's going to make the divorce more acrimonious. It's going to make it take longer. It's probably going to make it cost more. And it's going to unfortunately wreak a lot of havoc on that family post-divorce most likely. One last comment, um, because this case is now that there are several women that have come forward, you know, there is one caveat I want to put out there, and that is what I always call the Tiger Woods case. Um, so Tiger famously had for years engaged in adulterous uh, affairs with multiple women um, in, in such an egregious fashion it caused a huge sensation at the time it was revealed. And that serial kind of cheating, I will say, definitely probably had some effect on the ultimate uh, resolution of that divorce case. His ex-wife, Elin Nordegren, got many, 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 many millions of dollars in that settlement where if there had not been that serial egregious behavior on Tiger's part, she probably would have received less. Um, and there are many reasons for that. One of them is that in celebrity cases or high profile cases, when the celebrity is the person who has behaved poorly, they don't want this case to go to trial. They don't want more negative information to come out in the press and be played out in public. And so very often they will settle the case for a higher level and very often included in any settlement will be um, a non-disclosure agreement so that the spouse who was cheated on or was the recipient of that bad behavior will not discuss that post-dissolution. So that's something that's essentially purchased by the, the malfeasant party, the malfeasor, um, as part of the divorce settlement. So I'm sure there's going to be a great deal more about this. I will say my heart goes out to his wife, to their two young daughters, and certainly to their third child who's on the way. This is out there now in the media. It will never be gone. It will always be a part of this family's history. And if nothing else, that is one of the most unfortunate uh, things that 
will come out of this. These children will live with this for their entire lives. So moving on to Valerie Bertinelli. Uh, Valerie, we, I've talked about Valerie and her husband's divorce a few times. Um, his request for alimony, we talked about that in the August uh, headlines roundup. But now it, it was noted um, that she has listed the shoes she wore in her wedding. They're lovely. Um, and some rings, Tiffany rings that were the wedding rings. Um, and she has put them on the market for sale on The Real Real, uh, saying that they have bad memories attached to them. And, you know, so this is something I, I wanted to talk about because this is not actually all that uncommon. Um, one of my friends who recently was divorced um, and who kept the marital home in the divorce uh, did something that she called despousing the house. And she went and basically redecorated, redid the entire house to make it her own after the divorce was finalized to remove things that she felt didn't have a forward and positive focus for her. They reminded her of, you know, negative memories or negative things. And so she made some changes. And this will happen as well for people when it comes to jewelry. Most often, their engagement ring. This is the thing that I see most often coming up. So let's talk about selling items and engagement rings and, and wedding jewelry. So I first want to say The Real Real is an online website. I think they also have some retail stores. And they sell high-end jewelry, clothing, shoes, bags, etc. So that's where Valerie Bertinelli um, placed these items for sale. That is one place that I have seen people sell things. Another website that does high-end jewelry and helps people sell their engagement rings or wedding jewelry is called worthy.com, W-O-R-T-H-Y.com. Worthy is a wonderful online platform. Um, they basically help people to get the best price possible for their wedding jewelry, um, often the engagement rings. And, you know, the one point I wanted to make about this is for so many people, when they get divorced, the engagement ring goes into a jewelry box, it gets tucked into the corner of a drawer, but it gets put away. It has negative emotions attached to it. It may make people sad. It may make them angry. So this asset, this item of value, and I mean by that a monetary value, just gets put aside. And for some people, there's a lot of empowerment in liquidating that uh, asset, liquidating that engagement ring that no longer holds a special appeal and realizing some money from that that can be then put toward going back to school, going on a nice vacation, funding something for your children, a nest egg in case things go wrong. So it's something that people have increasingly be, been looking to as their divorce is finalized. Other people have done it during the divorce to raise funds to pay their attorney or other experts. So something to think about. Other people and clients of mine in the past have taken their jewelry and had it reset into something that is significant to them. Um, they have 
had it made into a necklace or a different style ring or into another piece of jewelry that means something to them as they move forward into their new beyond, into their beautiful beyond, as I call it. So those are a few ideas. Um, the One of the things I also, there's often a misunderstanding about who owns those rings and whether they are an asset in divorce. And I will say with respect to wedding jewelry, most specifically the engagement ring, because usually it's the most expensive um, of the wedding jewelry items, people think that is an asset of the marriage. And in fact, it is under the law generally considered to be the property, separate property, of the recipient of the gift. It is a gift given in contemplation of marriage. So when an engagement is broken off and the marriage doesn't happen, since the marriage didn't happen and it was given in contemplation of marriage, the giver of the ring should get it back legally. But if the marriage happened, even if it ends in divorce, the law says that engagement ring belongs to the recipient of that ring. Now, there are certain cases where that doesn't flow, most often where there's a prenup uh, in place that says something about the, the ring or when it's a family ring um, that has been passed down through you know the family over time. Very often there will be a separate agreement about that. So if you are wondering what's happening with your engagement ring or your wedding ring, generally your wedding rings will belong to each of you. The engagement ring will belong to the one of you who received that ring. So hoping for Valerie that she gets a nice uh, return on her sale items with the real real. I'll have to go and look that up and give you guys an update in the October um, headlines roundup. Now, moving on to our next case, and this will be Dancing with the Stars, Cheryl Burke and Matthew Lawrence have settled their divorce. So the two of them actually met on the show and got married, and then three years, less than three years later, they have split up. They've been going through the divorce, I believe, since the early part of this year, and they are now... Um, final. The, the divorce was finalized. Their agreement has been submitted to the court. And for the most part, one of the first points I wanted to point out here is that they agreed to uphold their premarital agreement. Um, that means that the two of them negotiated prior to their marriage a prenuptial agreement that basically said how they were going to divide things. Um, I suspect since neither of them asked for spousal support or alimony in their final judgment, it was also determined at the time of their premarital agreement that they would not um, either, neither would pay the other spousal support. So nothing particularly uh, outstanding about any of that. Those are pretty common uh, clauses that you might see in a premarital agreement. What I thought was interesting and wanted to note is that based on the paperwork that was filed, the two of them have not yet decided who is going to keep their dog, Isabella. Um, and what that means is they probably have deferred that question in their agreement and it is something they are still working on or they have decided that for the time being they'll continue the situation that they have, which might be sharing Isabella. 
Um, this is a hugely emotional issue in divorce. I have seen this be the most difficult issue in a divorce to resolve. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, our fur babies are just that, our babies, right? They become our um, our children in a certain way, or we are very, very, very attached to them. Um, the other issue is that during divorce, when we are often going through a very emotional time, our animals truly are part of our emotional support team. And so it can be a hard time, especially for um, the idea of contemplating not having your dog with you at times. Now, legally, this is an area of law that is, is somewhat rapidly changing. I will tell you for the vast majority of my 30 plus years of legal practice, dogs, uh, cats, animals, support animals have all been treated like pieces of property. They are essentially the same as a couch or a chair or a piece of you know jewelry. He or she who bought that dog is the owner of that dog and that dog will go with whomever the owner of the dog is or the cat. Um, and that did not allow for any nuance of like, what's in the dog's best interest? Who's really always been the one to take care of the dog? Who's in a better position to take care of the dog? And I just keep saying dog because Cheryl and Matthew have not decided what to do with Isabella. So I'm using that as our suggestion here. But so I would, what I want to point out here is those are really relevant questions. It's been very frustrating for people through the years to have to deal with this issue when those factors about what's best for the dog and what has happened besides just ownership of that animal, um, you know, when the dog is treated like a piece of furniture, that's been so frustrating for people. There are now laws on the books in a few states, um, I believe Arizona, um, California, Connecticut may have passed this, um, and there's probably other states. If you if you know and your state has passed this, please feel free to drop it in a comment to this episode or post it on social media. Go to the Instagram uh, at Divorce and Beyond um, or at Susan Guthrie ESQ and let us know that your state. But some states have laws on the book that now say a court can take into consideration the best interests of the pet meaning the court can look beyond ownership. Now that's only in married cases. It's only in cases where two people are getting divorced. So if you have an unmarried couple who co-own a dog or have jointly had a dog, that is still open to really being just a piece of furniture um, under the eyes of the law. That dog or cat or pet is going to belong to the person who purchased that. Um, very complicated situation. Uh, in, in an increasing number of people who are choosing to live together uh, rather than marry, um, so are doing cohabitation agreements. And if they j buy a dog or get a house uh, together, pay for things, own anything jointly, they are actually putting clauses in over the care and custody of the dog if they were to split up, what happens with the house, etc. So something to keep in mind. And now I'm just going to move into our last case because these were some meaty cases. I'm limiting it to these four, uh, but this one's focused on custody. And so I really wanted to touch on this one. And this has been an ongoing case. These two have been divorced for 
uh, about two years and it's just they pop up in the news every couple of months because unfortunately this has been a high conflict custody battle throughout this is the case of jesse williams of he was on gray's anatomy for years and his ex-wife um they are currently back in court back in a battle over the fact that the kids generally reside with mom in California. Jesse is in New York because he's been performing on Broadway and he is just signed up to do a second run of his show on Broadway. So from what I glean from the newspaper articles is there was an agreement in place or a court order at least in place that when he, for his first run on Broadway, he had the right to have the kids with him for parenting time in New York on certain dates. And now that he has signed up for a second run on Broadway, he wants to duplicate that schedule for the next run. And his ex-wife is refusing. Um, now she's citing some reasons that we hear fairly often that, you know, this cross-country travel is very difficult on the kids that it leaves them, I think her word was like zombies when they return and have to go to school after having traveled back and forth. Um, and so this is an ongoing battle for these two parents. Another thing I wanted to note is that they were ordered back in April of 2021 to attend um, online high conflict uh, parenting coaching course classes it doesn't appear that they've helped. Um, that is unfortunate. And this ongoing spiral of conflict is, you know, the second, third or fourth time that they've been in, in court or back in, uh, in a custodial battle. And they only got divorced two years ago literally two years ago. And I think that's what I really wanted to focus on here. I want people to understand this is a classic case of two people who had a high conflict divorce now having a high conflict post-divorce. When you go through and have conflict in your divorce and battle over every single issue, it generally means that you are going to continue to fight after the divorce is final. And that is something that we see over and over again. And they, this is, again, this is just classic that this is continuing to happen and that the kids are getting caught up in the middle of it. Um, they are the pawn, the issue that they are fighting over. And I just want to remind listeners, you guys have heard me say this in so many episodes, um, Christina McGee, our co-parenting expert, um, all of my mental health professionals, you out there who are mental health professionals, you, we know this. It is not divorce that harms children. It is the level of conflict between parents that has negative effects on children. And these two children who are six and eight are going to have negative results due to this level of, of conflict between their parents. And that's very clear as an ongoing thing. So I just mention all this as a caveat to everyone that if there are ways to work through issues with your co-parent, 
to try and find those, to try mediation where the two of you are going to be assisted in having these difficult conversations and most importantly to hopefully learn new ways of communicating with each other so that post-divorce you won't have this ongoing cycle of conflict because you will find yourselves over and over and over again fighting over every little issue if this is your pattern in the divorce it will continue post-divorce. So hopefully you will not have a future, a beyond like Jesse and Aaron, his ex-wife. I hope that for all of you. And most importantly, again, I hope that for your children. So that's wrapping up for the September Divorce and Beyond Headlines Roundup. Tune in next month. We're going to have a whole brand new bunch of cases in the headlines. There's never a lack of cases to talk about, but I hope that you gathered some helpful hints out of these cases that you're reading about in the headlines. So I'll see you next month for the Divorce and Beyond Headlines Roundup.